This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! Morning, Chuck. How are you? Guys, I'm okay. How are you today? Chuck, well. Yeah, it's always nice to win, Chuck. Yeah, you get to call three wins in a row, and I'm counting the Purdue game, man. It's been uh, it's been a nice uh, little more than a week for the radio crew. Yeah, they really took care of business last night. I mean, they played well. They never let Alcorn State into the game. They kind of you know, systematically pulled away in the first half. It was over by the break, and uh, a lot of guys played well. I, there's, there's a lot of talent on this team. A lot of talent. A lot of athleticism, a lot of shot-making ability. Um, am I missing anything here? I mean, a lot of hustle. Do you guys who know they're coming here I don't know to if, play defense? They I don't know like if they play together. If our length on the perimeter will, will be as long, uh, but I think inside we'll, we'll have a little more height this time inside. Don't, what do you think, Chuck? Well, it looks that way. I mean, Lawson's a guy that can defend a lot of different spots. I mean, he can do a lot of things defensively with that wingspan and um, you know, he's not a guy that we really talked about in terms of, you know, players that were coming in, the transfers that were coming in. And when you look at his stat line, it's nothing to write home about. Uh, but yet, I mean, he, he, he does provide some real length there. You know, the thing that, you know, players like Devo are going to have to really play well on the perimeter. I, I thought last night, you know, some of those guys at points in the game, and the game dictated this, I know, uh, maybe didn't stop the ball quite the way they did against Purdue. But um, I think they'll be okay out there. But you're right. They don't have the you know the 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guy out there like maybe sometimes they've had in the past. Yeah, I mean, you had Ricky Council, who is just uber-athletic, and, and then Anthony Black uh, uh, was super long as well. Uh, and, and this is just my first time getting a, getting my eyes on this team, Chuck. I thought uh, Pinion looks like he's really benefited from a, a college offseason. Yeah, I mean, he, um, he, he took advantage of the minutes that he had last night. And, you know, there are going to be situations, I think, for lots of these guys where they've got to take advantage of the minutes they get. Because this thing's going to be pared down. I mean, he's playing a lot of guys, did against Purdue, did against Alcorn, will against Gardner-Webb, and probably, um, you know, through the next two ball games next week as well. So um, these guys need to take advantage when they come in. But, yeah, I, th- I think Pinion's better. Uh, I think all the guys who were here last year are better. I'm just, they just look like they, um, that it's a good mesh. And again, maybe I'm, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because they've they've played one red white game. They played Purdue in an exhibition and, and play Alcorn State to open the season. There's a lot of basketball left. Oh yeah, but they but they do look like I mean, I, this team has kind of been cobbled together through the transfer portal mostly in the last few months, the last seven eight months. But it doesn't look like these guys have not played together much. Well, they're not afraid of anything. You know, they've all been around the block. And I don't care how much swag a freshman has. There's some fear there. I don't care what they say. There's there's going to be some fear there at some point. And I don't know that you're going to have that from this group. You know, battle last night, um, I mean, he was feeling it. And, you know, you look at what happened in the Purdue ball game, and it was Allison over time, and, you know, Mark did it the big shot. I'll tell you, I think Tremont Mark's a heck of a player. And, and, and you talk about – 
you know, when you were talking about defending on the perimeter, you know, Mark's six six, and he's got uncommon basketball instincts, and that's on the defensive end as well. And I think he's a guy that by the time we get to the middle of January, middle of February, we're going to look at this team and, and we're, you know, if, if someone were to say he's our best defender, I think they'll be able to make a case. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see this, see this team, team grow. Um, Chuck, we, we finally got a victory there on the road against Florida. First time ever. Uh, I thought I thought KJ played played extremely well. I know he had a fumble and and, and a turnover, but 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 put the team on his back late. Uh, Rocket with the hundred yards rushing, uh, you, you know, had twenty touches. Uh, I mean, what what were your thoughts? How cool was it though, just to see that celebrated locker room? Well, you know, you think about all of our optimism back in the summer when we thought about this season, and I think a lot of us, and I'll admit this myself, I did not expect them to be three and six at this point. I didn't know if they'd be six and three, but I didn't expect them to be three and six. Um, but the optimism that we had was based largely because of KJ and Rocket. And this was really the first time we'd seen them be a legitimate one-two punch. You know, this was, uh, this was what I think we envisioned at the beginning of the year happening all year. And it didn't happen until the ninth week. But I think we see what happens when both those guys are playing with passion and both those guys are as healthy as you can be at this stage of the season. And that, to me, was the difference in the ball game. Now, they knew what they were doing in terms of how they wanted to prepare this team offensively for the first quarter. I mean, they, they, they knew what they were doing. They, obviously, on the first drive, I mean, it had been, uh, it had been well thought out. and It worked to perfection. Special teams got them in trouble in the middle of the game, and they, they, you know, the field flipped, and it never really flipped back um, as we got through the second quarter. But then when the money was on the table, I mean, at the end of the day, it was K.J. and Rocket. And, again, I'll go back to what I said. We expected that every week, and we're just now getting it. And hopefully they've got it three more times to get to a fourth. And odds are still against them, but I guess we'll see. One thing that stood out to me against Florida, Chuck, is that backups had to step into – pretty important roles and not just on the offensive line i mean andrew armstrong goes out with with what looked like a concussion after he'd already caught over 100 yards worth of receiving he lost ty washington two plays into the game he's been the the most dangerous pass catching tight end not like tight ends got involved in the in the in catching passes much later but they were still out on the field blocking and you know coach uh, Pittman mentions how well gums blocked uh you know we the tackles you know kudas goes out Crawford comes in, might have played the best he's ever played as a Razorback. Devin Manuel on the left side. It's, uh, you know, depth. Depth on the offensive side was tested, and it came through. You know, they've been tested on the defensive side all year uh, in terms of depth with, with injuries, and seems like they've had a rash of concussions on that side of the ball, and they've continued to perform through those injuries. And I mean to, you know, key players, vital players, uh, on, the, on, on, on the offense, they were able to do that Saturday. You know, the, the thing about this offensive line, as shaky as things have been in the running game this year, they have by and large been able to survive injuries. Uh, but now, you know, in, in, in the ninth week, Kudis goes down, and it doesn't sound like, based on what Coach Pittman said yesterday, that uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to have him this week. So Crawford's going to have to step in and play well again. And, 
you know, when I look at the big picture right now, I mean, I, I don't think Auburn's that much different from Florida. You know, very frankly, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily any better, any worse. I, I don't think they're that much different. Um, it's a game Arkansas can win. They'll have to compete like crazy the way they did Saturday. There's not, you know, they've, they've not, frankly, played a great game at home. So the idea that home field advantage just propels you has not been that way this year. But I think they can win this game. I think they can beat FIU. And that's going to make for a very big ball game against Missouri if that happens. Um, but first things first. I mean, you've got you to play with the same fire Saturday you played with in Gainesville. And, you know, I think we expected that the first game out with a new coordinator. But now you've got to sustain it. And sometimes that's a little harder. Yeah, I, I counted four explosive plays. Uh, started off the very first the first play with a, an, a, an explosive play. Then Armstrong, Chuck, it seemed like they got him. They, they threw the ball deep. I, it's like you hadn't seen him throw the ball deep much. And, and he, he, he came down with one. And then uh, was that a slant he caught and for a little catch and run? Another, And we got field goals on both those drives. Yeah, they um, just, I thought, from the first snap, you could see that there was uh, some bounce that we'd not seen in a while. And, you know, I think the question as we move through the game would be, or at least it was for me, would they be able to avoid the mistakes that have, you know, cost them ball games in the past? And, and they were able to do that. Now, they made some mistakes. I mean, there were some screw-ups. But they were able to survive them this time. And, um, again, I, I think that from an offensive standpoint, they did the things that their quarterback felt comfortable doing. And if you're going to put the game on KJ's shoulders, which they've done and which they'll continue to do, you've got to do the things that he's comfortable doing. You've got to do the things that he feels like gives him a chance to make plays. And because when you do, um, you know, and, and KJ, he's one of those guys you look at him and you say, man, when he decides he wants to play, that guy is hard to beat. And he was really hard to beat on Saturday. You know, in the, I don't know if you could hear this in the back of the booth. You know, I was on the, on the engineer board for the last call. I had my mic up, so I don't think you could hear it. I screamed at the top of my lungs when Broden caught that touchdown and listening to your call at the same time. And it just didn't feel to me like it was like it – was, it's the first win at, at Florida, ends a, a lengthy losing streak, might have helped um, turn the season around. I mean, we'll find out this Saturday – but, I mean, you're around for a lot of games. Not every win feels the same. This one, felt, um, this one felt a lot different than any other football victory that I've been around. And I wonder what it felt like for you and, and when you talked with Coach Pittman, not on TV or on radio, just afterwards. When you went up and shook his hand, I, I can only imagine the countenance on his face of, of what that felt like. Well, I think at first there was a sigh of relief, just, just the biggest sense of relief and happiness for the kids that – you know, they're able to celebrate, that they're able to have that locker room. And a lot of us have probably seen the videos. And, you know, Matt, you've been in there personally. And when you win in a situation like that, it's, um, you know, that's one of those times that, you, you know, you don't get to do that often, quite honestly. Even if you're a good team, you don't get to do it all that often. So, you know, to have the chance to do that was, was I know, a big deal for them. It does not erase what happened in the eight weeks before, but it is the kind of win that you can hang your hat on for a little while. You can run with for three or four weeks. 
Oh. Um, sometimes you have a win like that 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 you know helps you win the next week too. Yeah, Chuck, it's it's no fun to lose. Uh, they, I mean, that, that victory was much needed. I, I do want to ask you about uh, if you know any update on who, who do you think is going to be the tight end to step up since our, our, our two guys have kind of went down. Well, it needs to be Varkis Gums. And, you know, this is a guy when he was in North Texas, I mean, he caught 30 balls. You know, he was, uh, I think his total receiving yards was over 450. So this is a guy that was part of their attack. I think the feeling about him has been that, from an athletic standpoint, he's got everything you want. Um, but there's more to play in tight end than just catching passes. And that may have been, at North Texas, all that was required. But a lot more is required here. And it sounds like, as the season has worn on, that he's catching up in terms of all the things that go with the position other than just catching passes. So, it, based on what Coach Pittman said after the game, um, you know, he, he did a much better job Saturday. You know, momentum's a powerful thing. And, 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 Matt, you know about this better than anyone. Sometimes that snowball gets rolling in a game. And all of a sudden, guys do things they've not done before during the course of the season. They, they, they don't screw up or they make a great play. And it's like, wow. You know, and, and that snowball effect takes hold. Well, I thought that happened Saturday. The momentum began to favor Arkansas, and they rolled with it, and they got out of town with a win. Well, now you come back down to earth, and you've got to prepare to try to do it again. And can they do that? I mean, it's been eight weeks, guys, since we've come on this show and talked about the Razorbacks winning a game. It's been eight weeks. So we'll see how they handle all that this week. Yeah, that made yesterday's show totally different. I mean, Matt and I started calling it Therapy Monday for like six weeks straight. We had a victory Monday. Yeah, yeah we broke out tissues. We had <laughs> tissues thrown around the studio. Everybody for like forgot how to act. Played yeah. some Kenny G. Act. Yeah. That's exactly Kenny right. It was ba- a victory Monday. Babies were made in the afternoon yesterday. <laughs> well, I don't know what you mean by that, Matt. I have no clue oh, what you mean sorry. by that. It's football season at your neighborhood Buffalo Wild Wings. And with 64-inch TVs, beer, burgers, and, you know, wings, Buffalo Wild Wings is the best choice to watch the big game. So bring the gang and join us this football season at your local Buffalo Wild Wings in Bryant, Little Rock, Sherwood, Conway, Jonesboro, and Fort Smith. Buffalo Wild Wings, beer, wings, sports, and your home for any game. Roar! Hi, everybody. This is Chris George from Joshua's Fine Jewelry in beautiful downtown Russellville. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas gifts, weddings, heirloom family treasures. And at Joshua's Fine Jewelry, we only have one sale every year, and it's right now. Every single item in our store is value priced for Christmas. We do custom one-of-a-kind jewelry. If that's what you're looking for, come see us. You can get anything fixed for a Christmas gift. Selection, quality, service, and Christmas red tag prices now through Christmas at Joshua's Fine Jewelry in beautiful downtown Russellville. It is Alyssa Orange from Pig Trail Nation joining us here for this segment. Alyssa, what's new in your world? How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing well. Getting ready for the women to kick off their season tonight. And uh, it's uh, it's been a fun morning because I've been on a uh, JMU Duke dog high after mm. last night. So. Not going to play in a bowl game, though. But tell me what's going on with JMU. And, I mean, is there any chance whatsoever... Uh, any chance whatsoever you think that they get a they get a postseason 
football game of some sort because they can't even. I don't think they can even play in the Sun Belt Championship. Well, no, and it, it, it's kind of crazy, and it's that NCAA rule where you can't be eligible for the postseason after for the first two years. But they tied the Sun Belt a year ago, and they're in the top of the standings in the Sun Belt this year. I mean, they're more than ready. They have been for a while to move up to um, to a bigger conference and, and play. And so uh, I hope so. I know that they wrote a letter and asked for um, a change in the rule today from the NCAA. Um, not bad timing coming off that overtime win over number four Michigan State yesterday. But, you know, their men's soccer team beat the number one team in the country. And um, if anyone cares why I care about JMU. So I woke up to about 15 text messages from my family group text today. My mom, my dad, and my sister all went to JMU. Um, I was actually born on campus. My mom's water broke in the admissions office and the athletic director's wife drove her to the hospital. Uh, so they are the OG college team that I have followed since I was literally born. So I say all of that, Phil, so that when Arkansas baseball opens up with them to start the year in February and I go to one game with my mom in my JMU sweatshirt, nobody comes after me. Nobody would ever come after you, Alyssa. Even though, I mean, even the same thing is like when, hey, the women's basketball team plays Florida State um, the day oh. the day after the men play Duke. So, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the little bit of the same thing. Then again, I mean, Arkansas just beat one of your least favorite programs in the entire country on the gridiron. So, I bet you got a big kick out of that. Yeah, it was pretty wonderful uh, being in Gainesville to uh, see all of those. Um, Sad Gator fans leaving the stadium and for it to happen for the very first time in program history was pretty cool because I will have to say they were very, very kind to me. Uh, we went to a restaurant Spurrier's and they were very, very, very kind to us, took care of us. Um, and so it's like they were trying to chip away at me, but I did not leave with any less hatred for the Gators than when I came. Alyssa, I was proud of, of how uh, Arkansas fought. Uh, I mean, the game could have went either way. Um, when I looked at what Armstrong was able to do and we had four explosive plays, uh, I mean, just kind of take me through. The offense hasn't had four explosive plays in a ball game, what, since week two? Yeah, it, well, it's been a while. And, and I remember looking at Twitter after that happened and um, people were like, a deep ball, about time. You know, it, it was good to kind of see them feel comfortable enough to take shots like that. Um, and, of course, that leads to giving KJ enough time to throw that football. And um, that's a credit to the offensive line and, and what they accomplished in those two short weeks of things changing over there. And, you know, you also just saw a different swagger with this offense. You saw for the first time them playing as a unit with KJ being able to make the plays that he was for the run game to finally get going, to open up the, the passing game. And so, I really liked the body language and the attitude that I saw from this offense on on Saturday compared to what we have seen the past couple of weeks. And, and yeah, had a 100-yard rusher for the first time to get Rocket back. I, I think that just helps everybody's confidence because, I mean, Rocket really cl- clearly is the, the number one running back. And I don't remember DeBinion stepping on the field. Uh, is he uh, okay? A family funeral. Okay, okay. And his arm, yeah, he his, was, okay. yeah, he was at... Yeah, so he was at a funeral, but you're right. Um, you know, to have Rocket back, and I think if there was a game that he was going to play in, it would have been this one for him to play back in his home state. You know, his son got to see him play in person for the very first time, and Rocket said, you know, it was really special. But 
it's not going to be his only first. Like he wants to have a career in football. He wants to be that role model for his son, and that was huge for him. He had a lot of added motivation, um, added motivation in that game on Saturday. But I think AJ Green really balanced it out too. He ran really hard when we got to see him in the game as well, and so that was really nice to see Rocket kind of solidify himself back in that backfield and A.J. Green and a compliment to him. It was a fun game. It was a really fun game. And uh, basketball looked great last night. Uh, you mentioned earlier, women's basketball opens the season against ULM today. Uh, it's You get such differences <clears throat> between the men and the women and how the teams are constructed, right? I mean, Muss is the king of the transfer portal and has put together what looks like a really entertaining um, team filled with veterans uh, who played a lot of college basketball on on the women's side. Yeah, there's veterans on this team because I don't think anybody sooner or later. Michaela Daniels sets the record for games played for the program, and I think let's see, she's like nine away from that. I, Sam's been around for a yeah. long time, uh, but you get some right. really exciting freshmen coming in, and man, I mean, it, I think Mike has a pretty good team. He does, and and that's the one thing that he's talked about all off season when we've talked to him and asked him about this team is that they have enough players with talent on this team that they can play different groups of of teams during practice, and it doesn't drop off talent wise. And that's what he's really touted is the depth that he can mix and match so many different combinations, and nothing drops off. And you know they're talking about doing a lot more press this year defensively, so they've kind of changed that up too, and. Um, they've talked about you have Talia Scott who comes in and, and how she compliments Michaela Daniels and Samara Spencer and what she's learned from them. And now she's finally, you know, I, I think it was eye-opening when Mike Neighbors last week during his media day said that he put Michaela and Sam and Talia all on the table in a room and was just like, you know, you guys have been competing against each other, whether, you know, you, you feel that way or not, but you don't have to compete with each other for playing time. Like you guys have proven that you can play together and you're not playing against each other. You can play for each other. And he said there was just kind of a sigh of relief from the three of them because they're so competitive and talented that, um, you know, they all want to play, but they all can't necessarily be out there at the same time. Well, you know, and you also have, let's talk about the freshmen here. Um, you know, I mean, we, we've seen some freshmen come in and just get right to playing immediately, like Sam. Like, Michaela Daniels, she's never come off the bench. She started every game as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Talia Scott, when I hear about Talia Scott, she might be the most talented freshman that Mike's ever have come in. And Jenna Lawrence, man, I think one of the reasons that you feel okay about the depth of the team with Jersey Wolfenbarger uh, leaving the program is that apparently Jenna Lawrence has just kind of come on during practice. And this isn't yeah. the freshman who's just going to, you know, play like 10 minutes a game, 15 minutes a oh. game. She's going to be really a big part of this team. I'm going to tell you what, of all the people we talked to last week during media day, Jenna was by far my favorite as a freshman, her demeanor. She was not nervous. She is just a ball of personality. She's real. She's confident, but she's fun she is someone you're like, she's a ball player. She's kind of got that swagger in her where she doesn't feel like you're talking to a freshman. It feels like you're talking to someone who's a junior or a senior about to start, you know, their, their third or fourth year playing basketball. And so I walked away from Thursday 
going, she's a baller. She is going to have a big season. And, and that was just from talking to her about talking to her game and how she's feeling and, you know, what are the, some of the growing pains of being a freshman and her just being so confident in her abilities and in an uncocky way. And, of course, you know, she played high school basketball and graduated from Farmington right down the street. And so that's a lot of pressure when you're the local freshman on the team. And I don't see her having a, a problem with that kind of pressure. Um, I've got to ask about soccer here for a moment. I saw on the website, you know, they had the, the video and a photo from uh, selection, the selection show and, and got all mm-hmm. the players there on the photo and then you see a crutch. And it's like, well, that must be Anna Potagels. Um, this, mm-hmm. Can this team make a run without her? Do you know any, anything about her availability for the, for the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I don't. I uh, didn't have an opportunity to listen to a press conference yesterday. They had a short one uh, with B. Franklin and Colby Hale. And, and I don't know if they asked about Anna. Um, but that would just, you know, that would be tough considering what she's done for this program. She's been playing since she was a freshman. She was one of the highest recruits for Colby early on a couple of, you know, I guess five years ago now. Um, and, and so you hope that she could possibly be a contributing factor, maybe not this week, but down the road if they're due, if, you know, they are playing for a spot in the final four. Uh, but that's something to keep an eye on for sure. That doesn't mean this, this team has any kind of lack of talent or swagger or confidence because they have all of them. They take after their head coach. And uh, I think they're going to be okay. And uh, also, Evan Camico just told me that uh, Morgan White's going to be fine. Okay, so that's, that's good news too. That's good. That's good. How about don't you like? You're like still. You know what I mean. You get past a note in the middle. I feel like Chuck Barrett right now. I get past notes on updates so I can say it on the radio. That's right. You got a spotter right behind you. Good work, Evan. I do. That's right. He just got his hair cut. So good, great timing to come back into the office. Perfect TV, isn't that nice? With the with the folks who have really nice hair, you're talking to two radio guys here. Christian has the nicest hair of the three of us. That doesn't really say very much. Um, Alyssa, last thing: have you have we seen Clayton Kershaw for the last time? That uh, that shoulder surgery oh announcement he made on uh, on on Instagram the other day was. Uh, I, I mean, know. maybe it was a, a, a surprise, but maybe again it wasn't a surprise because he wasn't quite the same guy the last couple of years. Yeah, um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Um, I'm going to have to take some time to process that, right? You know, just because it's been um, such a staple uh, for the Dodgers. You know, I, I, if it is, um, you know, you'll, you'll be sad, but you'll be happy. It's very bittersweet. If it's not, you just hope it's one more year with a Dodgers uniform. I think anyone would say that the last thing they want is for uh, Clayton Kershaw to go anywhere else just to play one more season. Um, I'd like for him to hang it up as a Dodger, regardless of if it's now or if it's a year from now. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. Your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. 
Are you in need of an attorney? Hickey & Hull Law Partners is your firm. Hickey & Hull understand the importance of client communication, meeting with you, responding to emails, and returning calls. Hickey & Hull are attorneys you can trust to guide you through a divorce or a custody case, criminal charges, or even civil lawsuit. Ready to put their seven decades of experience to work for you and get the best results. Every case is important. Hickey & Hull Law Partners strive to give each client the time and attention it deserves. Visit them at KevinHickeyLaw.com. Hickey and Hull Law Partners. Things are about to get better. And now, back to the podcast. Well, the Michigan st- sign-stealing thing is uh, just continues to get, um, I don't know, it's weirder and weirder. It's just mushrooms. Um, you know, mushrooms on steroids, essentially, just kind of exploding here. Pat Forty reported yesterday, and they've updated the story recently about... Apparently, there were some teams that had also deciphered Michigan signs in the Big Ten, shared those signals with Michigan opponents. Didn't really mean anything because Michigan won those games anyway. Uh, and, I mean, they've got, they've got the documents. They've got single-page documents of decoded signs of Michigan football. So Michigan was stealing signals. And they were having their signals deciphered, too. It, I just don't know how it happened. I don't know if it was the same thing. Because here's the thing. Like, stealing signs is not against the rules. We all know that by now. What is against the rules is somebody being on the road watching other teams deciphering signals while they're there. The in-person scouting is what's against the rules here. Um, so, I mean, but, you know, Michigan fans are using this as some sort of ammunition to say, well, look, everybody's doing it. The question is... How did they do it? And, you know, the other aspect of this too, Matt, is, um, and I know this about baseball, and then I think this is true about basketball, and I think it's true about football. These coaches have, does anybody have a Rolodex anymore? These coaches have a lot of contacts, a lot of other coaching contacts, and they share information. Sometimes you share information about an upcoming opponent for somebody else, knowing full well that your friend will give you the same kind of information about one of your upcoming opponents if he or she has played them. That could also be what this is about, which also I don't think is against the rules either, Matt. It's just might have to rewrite the rules. You might just have to put radios and helmets. It, uh, and that's kind of what uh, I think when it first came out that I kind of said it has a Lance Armstrong kind of feel to it where who's being the best at being bad and not getting caught. Like, is everybody really doing it? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot more that's going to come out and there's a way that, you know, there's a, it's, it's not, I don't know what you call it, like an etiquette to it. There, it's supposed to be, there's supposed to be some type of unwritten rule on how you go about it. And there is written rules, obviously, that you can't send scouts to just to, to go, to go scout the game to, to, and, and get their signs. So there are rules about it, but it seems like they were all kind of, they were all kind of doing it. One of the things that just seems so I don't know if it's odd or it just stands out to me. Bruce Feldman wrote about this in The Athletic recently. You know, Connor Stallions was described as a hanger-on to the program. This is somebody that would just be outside the locker room after games shouting to the players, you know, and, and essentially try. He wanted to be a part of the program. And I think that there's other, other people, other fans who have found their way inside programs as well that's the thing that's so wild about this matt it's that stallions didn't have this like great football background or anything to get on staff there he was a hanger on you know he was a face without a name i think for a lot of the players and the coaches as well and he found a way to ingratiate himself to them by 
giving them pretty important information. That's one of the things that really stands out here. And I just wonder if there's got to be other programs too, maybe a lot of them, that somebody is looking to get on the inside and they find a way to do it. Connor Stallions did that. Trust no one. It's wild on the frontier. It's, uh, the, there'll be a lot more stuff come out. I, I don't know. I, I, it's, uh, I guess that's why you, you, it's when these colleges and stuff happens and, and you, you get reprimanded, it's a couple years later, and then the debate is or the thing is, well, don't punish these kids because it was the last group of kids that, that caused the problem, so we can't punish. So nothing's still going to happen. You know, Michigan's still going to be in the playoff four this year. They're going to have a chance to win the national title. Uh, and then going forward next year, as long as Harbaugh's there with Michigan, there there shouldn't be any reason why you don't think they're going to be a playoff twelve. That that's one of those teams that they're a blue blood type of team, and you get the right coach there, they could, they'll be in that top twelve just about every year. Well, now also I like Brandon's text. He says a coach's Rolodex is now called a burner phone. That's good. Yeah, I never had a Rolodex. Did you? My pops did. He was a football coach. You know, uh-huh. you had all the all the high school coaches and stuff that you went through. You had to go and exchange film and. Go to the roller deck. Yeah, he had one. Well, apparently Tony Petiti, who's the Big Ten commissioner, you know, he's got, he has the authority to levy a suspension uh, and a fine. Um, These are powers that are given to the Big Ten commissioner by the schools. But when I'm reading about this, the other schools in the Big Ten have brought a lot of pressure onto Petiti, and of course there's been a lot of public pressure about this as well. And, And it sounds to me... They're pretty close. The Big Ten is, has already basically told Michigan that there's a chance that there could be some disciplinary action coming from the conference. So in that case, I think, you know, this Yahoo report comes out and says that there was no, they haven't been able to find any evidence that Harbaugh knew of what Stallings was doing. Now that's independent of the idea that in the NCAA rules now, if there's, if there's, um, indiscretions going on in your program and you don't know about it, you're still the head coach and you're still responsible for it. Um, And that might be what this leads to. But also, it's like the Big Ten may be levying some sort of suspension towards Harbaugh essentially in absentia because it didn't, when I'm reading about this, there were no Michigan representatives in on any of the meetings where the Big Ten schools, the other Big Ten schools are pressuring the commissioner to do something about this, you know, and it's like I I don't know if I, that like I don't I don't like the idea of what of what Michigan has done in this case, you know, breaking a rule, but I also don't like the idea of an investigation going so quickly and the essentially the judge and the jury he's the same person he's the commissioner and he can convict in absentia because I don't think he's talked to Harbaugh I think he's spoken to the school president. So maybe there was some sort of discussion between the two of them about that. But in these meetings, you know, there was no representative from Michigan. And um, this, I mean, this just keeps getting uglier and uglier and uglier, Matt. And at some point, the season ends and nothing's happened. And I don't know, at that point, there, can be, there can't be any disciplinary measures. By that point, it's too late. And now it's the off season. And now the slow NCAA investigation takes hold. And maybe by that point, Harbaugh's jumped to the NFL again. That's what I was going to say. If, um, you know, if Michigan was able to, if they lose, say they lost to Penn State this week and and then they lost to Ohio State, then wouldn't you see them come down with a ruling? I I think as long as Michigan's undefeated and 
uh, playing some of the best defense there, there there's ever been seen in this modern day football area era that uh, they're not going to do anything until then. They they don't want to take a national championship away from the Big Ten and all that money and all that prestige and everything that comes along with it. I, I just don't think they do anything until Michigan kind of hurts themselves. And then when that comes out, like you, John Harbaugh is the next coach of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. You know, like what what's you know that's what's going to happen. I, I I agree with you. Is he'll leave it burning. We also got a text from, uh, it was Brandon. Uh, he said he's shocked by this uh, Craig Council going to the Cubs. This really did come out of uh, behind home plate when you think about it because David Ross, I don't think he did anything to be fired by the Cubs other than he wasn't Craig Council. You know, Council's got this reputation. If he's able to turn the Brewers, um, you know, a, a, a smaller market team in a division that's got teams like the Cubs and the Cardinals that will spend some money. Uh, and, and, and yet, you know, they were kind of the perennial champion of that division for a few years now. Uh, it's shocking to see a guy who's from Wisconsin and was so successful there go to another team in the same division. And uh, Mark Atencio said this yesterday. He's the Brewers owner. He, he, you know, he didn't like, I don't think he ripped counsel, but he did show how disappointed he was about it. Um, you know, essentially saying, if I'm remembering the terminology properly here, uh, council is like, for, you know, forgot about our community or something like this. It just, he, it came out of left field for him. But think about David Ross. Like, you know, this was his best year actually managing the Cubs. First year with a winning record in the last three years. And, and yet out of nowhere, he's let go to bring in another manager from the same division. Just it was, I think it surprised everybody in the sport, really surprised everybody that Ross was let go the way that he was and that Council moves in the same division to be the highest paid manager in the sport. I don't think the Brewers were going to match what the Cubs are paying him. David Ross, now he, he had won the World Series with the, with, the, with the Bo Sox and then goes to the Cubs, and correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but he, he was the catcher, and, and he was on, that when, uh, on the World yeah. Series championship team. He hits a home run, but he had been concussed. Is that right at the plate? He got concussed during that same game that he hits the the the, the home run on. Oh, some of those he like pinch. He comes in and pinch hits. Yeah, I was, I was I was asking, but but that's what I remember. David Ross is as being a a, a a catcher that could hit the ball a little bit. Well, I think he had more. He probably had a little bit more playing time than most of the former catchers that are major league managers now. This is amazing. Steven Vogt just signed to be the Cleveland Guardians manager. He was a journeyman catcher before that, and he'd only been retired for one year. Let's just say David, David Ross might get hired by the Padres. I think they're interviewing him. And by the way, the Angels apparently have talked to Torrey Hunter about the Torrey Hunter, post, Minnesota, to John Heyman. Second Minnesota twin, you know, Kirby Puckett, and then, and then it would be uh, Torrey Hunter. But let's say that David Ross signs to manage somebody because I think he's a decent skipper. Uh, that means you would have 14 former catchers out of 30 managerial jobs that are managers. That's almost half. That's almost half of the jobs. There are four managerial posts open right now. Padres, Angels, Astros, Brewers. If, if two of them are hire, hire a catcher, half the managers will have been catchers, and none of them, like none of them, were stars. Not a single one of them. Service started a few years, but he was a backup for a lot of his career. Uh, Bruce Bochy, backup. Bob Melvin, backup. A.J. Hinch, backup. Kevin Cash, minor leaguer. 
you know, Snicker, Thompson, Shelton, Hyde, Pedro Greifel with the White Sox, Matt Quatrar with the Royals. These were all minor league catchers. It's amazing. Almost half of the major league teams will be managed by catchers next year, maybe more than half. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And it's it's funny because you, you, you talk about Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, two of the best NBA coaches. They were just okay players. Yeah. Sometimes the best coaches, the best managers were just sort of eh yeah. when they did play. Yeah. If they did play in some cases. Got a lot of football coaches that didn't necessarily play very much. Hey, sports fans, don't let plumbing issues throw you off your game. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric is here to tackle those pesky drain blockages and ensure your water heater is always in MVP form. With Pascal's world-class service, you can count on a winning play every time. Whether it's a quick drain clear or a water heater touchdown, Pascal's got the expertise to keep your home running smoothly. Stay in the game and leave the plumbing to the pros. Schedule your service online anytime at gopascal.com. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Thanksgiving dinner will be memorable this year at the historic Arlington Resort Hotel and Spa in Hot Springs. Thursday, November 23rd from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Venetian Dining Room, you'll have a salad bar, carving station, hot buffet items, and desserts featuring traditional and unique items. Over 12 dine for $58 per person, under 12 for $29, and under 6 eat free. Reservations required. Must have credit card to hold reservations. Call 501-623-7771 or log on at arlingtonhotel.com slash dining for reservations and complete menu items. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Right now, Eastside Liquor has a truckload of eggnog, winter seasonal beers, stouts and liquors, rum chata, moonshake creams, and more. Don't forget about the hog bourbon decanters. Come by the drive-thru or walk inside to see Dave and his team at Eastside Liquor, 9390 in Fort Smith. Now, back to the podcast. Bill King standing by on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. Bill, of course, hosting 6 to 9 on Nashville Sports Radio, Monday through Friday. Always worth a listen. Bill, appreciate you hopping on with us today. How are you? Meltdown time in Gainesville. Mm. I talk to them every week. Not only that, but their next three games are LSU, Missouri, and Florida State. They're probably going to go 5 and 7. Yeah, I heard a little bit of you with Gator Dave this morning on WNSR. Um, yeah. yeah, they're. Uh, hey, here's one of the things. Somebody brought this up earlier, and I think it was Chuck, the voice of the Razorbacks, said this that if you watch that game, Arkansas may have been the more talented of the two teams, which <clears throat> was uh, would be a shocking thing to think about. But it was a great game. Florida fans are really upset, and uh, Matt doesn't think they're going to make a bowl game either. <laughs> We looked it up this morning. If you take Florida's last really good team, which was 09, that was the best team. That that was the team that could have won the national championship. They lost to Alabama and, of course, didn't get there. But they are averaging about seven and a half wins a year the last 14 years. A brand that big and strong, which could dominate if they're properly led. They're averaging about a seven and five season for the last decade and almost a half. Is Napier more, is he just too much of a good old boy? Like, is he, is he safe? Is he the right guy? I mean, you, you bring that up. I, that's the, what I brought up on Monday was, is, he, is his job, is he going to be the guy? Do they owe him too much money? My understanding is he's okay this year regardless of how many wheels fall off. But next year is they need to see some improvement. And the problem is their schedule, as bad as it was, many, I mean, difficult as it was this year, is arguably tougher next year. It's not conducive to him saving things. So I would 
predict, guys, that it's highly unlikely he's the coach beyond 24. Yeah, I mean KJ, our our quarterback showed out. Uh, we we got yep. we had our running back back uh, real, real quick. They're, they're Florida's is it Mertens? Their quarterback. Do you like him? How, how do you think he's the guy? Will he be their starter next year? I, I I seem to I think that he just needs more reps. I thought he looked okay. Serviceable. I think he is. I think he's he's solid. He's decent. He's not a point guard who's going to get you twenty. Yeah. Right. He's, yeah. he's going to distribute the ball, and they got a five star coming in from Texas who's really good. Now, again, to sit here a year in advance and project a true freshman to come in and save the day, even though he's a big name, it would be silly of me. They feel good about the future of quarterback. I don't know that it's Graham Mertz. Might be, but but don't know. KJ looked like uh, more of the KJ yep. from last year. Rocket Sanders yep. was as healthiest of the season. Arkansas had some chunk plays. Um, that was the best game they played this year, and now you know they're in this position where you're fighting to you're fighting to make a bowl game. You got to win them all. Uh, I think Auburn's turned themselves around a little bit the last two weeks too. This should be a good one on Saturday. Yeah, Auburn is pesky. That's the best way to describe them. They don't have the weaponry they're going to have, meaning the volume of weaponry that they're going to have in the future. We know Hugh Freeze can dial it up. We know he's an outstanding head coach. Yeah, this will be a fun game. I don't know if it's a predictor of anything, but I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. I look up and down the, the SEC this week, and there there's some good games. That Tennessee-Missouri game, I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. And if uh, you think there's like the Coach, Coach Nutt used to say, there's an Alabama effect. Don't let Alabama beat you twice because uh, you go get beat up and bruised by them, then you lose the next week. Could you see anything like that with Missouri this week against Tennessee? Yeah, I wonder how battered they are. All they had to pour into that Georgia game. They played Georgia well. That's a, that's a good-looking Missouri team, both sides of the ball. And I wanted to see what the number was. The number is like minus one Tennessee. I, I saw it at one, yeah. That's, that's also interesting. Tennessee has not really put together a four-quarter game yet, and they tend to get up early and then – go about three, four series offensively where they don't score. You cannot do that in Columbia, Missouri. You can't do that. Now, the thing that saved Tennessee is they've got the best running attack in the league, and they're very deep at running back. They can run them at you. And Milton, they're running him a little bit more, too, which he's capable. He's not going to be a pendant hooker, but he's capable. That's going to be an interesting game, which I assume guys will have lots of points, I would think. Bill, it does look like we might be <clears throat> on the way to another Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game. And, you know, we, there were the questions going into the season about quarterbacks were, are these the guys that can really do what the previous quarterbacks have done? And not necessarily the numbers, but just win a lot of games. And it really looks like Carson Beck and Jalen Milrow have grown throughout the season. They've progressed as young quarterbacks. They've gotten better. Milrow is really a weapon. I mean, certainly when he starts running, and uh, there's no doubt last week he showed that against LSU. Yeah, and Jaden Daniels had 163 yards, and he didn't play most 99% of the fourth quarter, right? I mean, that was a really fun matchup, two outstanding performing quarterbacks. Now, Daniels is a much better player than Milrow, but I will admit, I'm a huge critic of Milrow, and they've kind of found out what his formula is. Right? They've kind of found, okay, here's what we can do. We know all the things we can't do. And they found it, and it's working. 
And like I said, when I was criticizing them on your you guys' show a lot early on, it's still a team that could go 11-1, and one, and I think they will. They'll rematch with Georgia. I do not think they'll beat Georgia, but that'll be another Alabama-Georgia chapter, right, for the books. You know, you got Michigan at Penn State, and I know there's not a lot of believers in, in James Franklin. I like James Franklin. I think he's what he has Penn State at like top of tier two. If you if you were to say who's the best yeah. of the rest, it's 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 Penn State. Do you think any distractions, anything going on with Michigan, or are they just too good? Penn State. Do you think they you give them a shot this week against Michigan? It's it's in Happy Valley, so yes, and they've got capable of athletes. They just don't seem to max out this year with their players and frankly James Franklin has this reputation of not winning the big games and he doesn't beat Michigan and he doesn't beat Ohio State again he gets them at home they're about a four and a half point underdog they're capable I can tell you I hear from Penn State fans all the time this morning earlier in the week and they're pessimistic they're very down on James Franklin heading into this ball game yeah, I was listening to uh, to one of your callers uh, talk about that exact idea, you know, because Penn State views themselves as the same level as Ohio State, as Michigan. They view themselves yep. the same way as Georgia views Georgia, and at one time that was true, but it's it didn't happen under Bill O'Brien. It still hasn't happened under James Franklin. Maybe it was just a Joe Paterno thing, because you know by this time it's I mean it's pretty obvious. I don't think Penn State beats Michigan. Michigan and Ohio State are at a much different level than Penn State, and I'm not sure if that changes with Franklin as the coach. Might not. They had the one year in 16 where they started poorly, beat Ohio State later, won the league, got to the Rose Bowl. Remember Ohio State, even though Penn State beat them, Ohio State got to the playoffs. That's their best year, and he won the Big Ten that year, which is absolutely commendable, right? Win your league, you, you pass the test, right, with your A.D., but the big games since then have eluded him, and he can't shake that. He doesn't also, guys, necessarily project as the best in-game coach. That's been a problem. There in the like, comparison to uh, Mark Rick to Georgia, do you think? Would that be, would that be fair? Yeah, Mark Rick had his best teams were better than James Franklin teams. That team that Mark Rick had, and he won, remember, he won the SEC early on and, and was a very big-time weapon, Georgia football, kind of faded. They lost Van Gorder, their coordinator, who at the time was a good coach. He's not a good coach anymore for whatever reason. And they elevated Willie Martinez, and it, it was a disaster defensively. But that team they had in 2012 that lost on the goal line against Alabama when they were trying to score a win, it would have won the national championship. Yeah, I think that they played was. Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, they'd have played Notre Dame. And Aaron Murray, remember on Aaron the Aaron Murray, line? that's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was Aaron Murray. That's... End of the game, and they couldn't get it in from about the six-yard line. That team was better than any Penn State team that James Franklin's had, including that 16 team with Saquon Barkley. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, they just can't seem to get over the hump for whatever reason. Ben Gorder was a coach there when I was at Jacksonville, so I, re- I remember him well. Um, oh, yeah. Bill, I, I, I'm liking what I see out of Washington. Uh, or do you still have them the fifth-ranked team when, when it comes to the playoff four? Do you think Utah – I like Utah. I, I said that, that if, if USC had Utah's defense, they could win a national title. Did, can Utah score enough points to, to keep it close so they have a chance against Washington? I wouldn't think so. Way too much weaponry with Michael Penix and those receivers. 
and that running back. I, I don't think so. Now, it'll be physical, and you know Utah will fight anybody. In a, in a dark alley, anywhere you want to go, they'll go. They just don't have, I think, the length, the volume of weaponry to outscore Washington. I, I think we are absolutely going to get another Oregon-Washington game in the Pac-12 championship, which should be exhilarating. Sign me up. Sign me up, Phil. Yep. I'll, I'll, yep. I'll watch that one. That would be a really good one. <laughs> Bill, i got to go back to Michigan here for a quick moment. Yep. <clears throat> because Penn State probably has the signals, too. We learned that um, earlier today in Pat Forty and Richard Johnson's article in Sports Illustrated. It's really interesting. Like, Pete Thamel's been reporting on a lot of this Michigan stuff from ESPN. Apparently, uh, folks from the Big Ten or, or, or coaching staffs or schools went to him with information that there were Big Ten schools that were sharing Michigan signals with Wolverine's opponents. Thamel didn't publish anything about that. So, I mean, they're coming at him hard right now on social media. Least popular person in Ann Arbor. Tony Petiti, Ryan Day, or Pete Thamel? I would think as much as the media gets despised, Pete Thamel. I don't like Pete Thamel. He is a good college football info guy. I can't deny that. I don't like him, though. But So I would, I would say Mr. Pete Thamel of ESPN. This thing just gets more interesting on a, on a daily basis. It really does. It really does. And what it turns out is that everybody's got everybody's signals, Bill. That's, that's what I'm taking from this. Everybody knows what everybody else is running, uh, and uh, the rules are just there for show. You know how Tyler from Spartanburg pulled out a Bible verse on Dabo Swing? Yes. My Bible verse for today and the Big Ten is, He who is without sin cast first stone. How about that one? That one works, too. That's, I, I just feel, I said, it kind of has this Lance Armstrong feel about it. Like, they're all cheating, but who's doing it the best? Right. I'm sure that's it. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.